have you open up in your Bibles to the book of Jude again this morning. The book of Jude can be found on page 1,216 if you're using a pew Bible, the book of Jude, uh, right before the book of Revelation. Easy to miss. It's only one page, 25 verses. book of Jude began our study of this book last week and we'll continue this morning with verse 1b and 2. Um, I'm going to read the whole, the whole chapter, the whole book. Why don't you stand uh, for the reading of God's Word this morning? So I'll read it all. We'll come back and just read those two verses, which are our text afterwards. But hear then the holy, inspired, and inerrant Word of God. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James... To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael Contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion." These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds, swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. As you take your seat, I direct all of us to our text this morning, 
1b and 2, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Even so, we pray that as we study your word, you would light the way for us this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen. Your congregation, Jude, is writing a letter in which he encourages his readers to contend for the faith. And the reason they must do this is because certain people have crept into the church, and they have preached a false gospel, a false gospel in which they pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality. We see this perversion of the gospel still today. Whenever people say or even think to themselves, you know, it, it doesn't matter how you live, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter who you marry, it doesn't matter who you sleep with, it doesn't matter how much you drink, or it doesn't matter how you talk about others. All that matters is that you love Jesus. Those who say and think such things are also perverting the grace of God into a license for immorality. And we do recognize that, that to say, you know, because God loves you, it doesn't matter how you live. We recognize that that is, a, that is a perversion of the gospel. We recognize that is a distortion of the truth. Because although it is gloriously true that God is gracious and that in Christ there is ever and always forgiveness for all of our sins, so is it also true what Jesus said. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That is, if you love me, you will not live however you want. You will live how I've called you to live. Anyways, that's, that's the false teaching that Jude confronts and calls believers to contend against in this letter. It's the false teaching of antinomianism or, or lawlessness. Those would be the theological words used to describe it. Now, before Jude gets into the meat of this letter, he wants his readers to be fully aware of two important details. First, he wants us to know who he is. Who is this guy writing this letter to us, this guy who speaks with some rather strong words? Well, he tells us who he is in verse 1a. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. We looked at that last week. Second, Jude wants us to know who we are as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to know who we are as Christians called to contend for the faith once handed down. And he tells us exactly who we are in verses 1b and 2. He says, we are people who are, be uh, who are called, beloved, kept, and blessed. We are people who are called... Beloved, kept, and blessed. This morning we're going to think about each one of these precious descriptions which Jude applies to the believer in the opening of his letter. The first one is called. Jude says that this letter is to those who are called. Believers are called. Called by whom? Called by God. Jude doesn't come right out and say that. He doesn't need to. It's implied. Throughout Scripture, we see that our God is a God who calls His people. He calls Abraham. He calls Jacob. He calls Moses. He calls Israel. He calls Samuel. He calls David. He calls Isaiah. He calls the Twelve. He calls the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Okay, over and over and over again, we see that our God is a God who calls His people. And He's called us as well, hasn't He? 
That's obvious from Romans 3.11. Romans 3.11 says, no one seeks God. No one. Not you, not I. No one seeks God. At least not the true and living God. But praise be to God, he seeks men, doesn't he? And he calls them. Where does God call them to? Well, he calls men and women to himself, doesn't he? He calls men and women out of their unbelief to to know him and love him and trust him and be saved by him. The Apostle Peter puts it this way, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God calls us out of unbelief to himself. He calls us out of darkness into light. He calls us to believe in Jesus Christ and to be saved through faith in him. And how does God call us? Well, he calls us through the gospel, right? 2 Thessalonians 2.14 says, To this he called you through our gospel. God calls us through the gospel. He calls us through the good news of, of forgiveness for sins and peace with him. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When one has, by God's grace, come under the conviction of their sin... When one has, by God's grace, come to recognize that that they are guilty and worthy of eternal death before God. The good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, it's music to his ears, isn't it? The good news of salvation in Jesus Christ brings joy to that person's heart. The good news of salvation in Jesus is, is the call of God to his own. The Canons of Dort says this, the fact that others who are called through the ministry of the gospel do come and are brought to conversion must not be credited to man. No, it must be credited to God. For just as from eternity he chose his own in Christ, so within time he effectively calls them, grants them faith and repentance, and having rescued them from the kingdom of darkness, brings them into the kingdom of of his son. There's a, there's a song uh, that we might have learned as a child. I'm guessing most of us did learn it as a child. It goes like this, right? I have decided to follow Jesus. Uh, I sing that with my kids. I like that song. Uh, it's okay to sing that song. It's not like in the garden, which I told everyone on a Sunday night two weeks ago, we should never sing again, by the way. Um, but, but, but I like... Uh, It's okay to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, as long as we understand this. We only decide to follow Jesus after God calls us and gives us grace to do so. Gives us grace to do so, excuse me. Apart from that, none of us actually decides to follow Jesus. So just understand that, right? If you're going to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, at least sing it like a, you know, a Calvinist, a Reformed person. You only decide to follow Jesus after God calls you and gives you grace to do so. Anyway, God calls us to himself. He calls us through the gospel. And last, and I think most relevant for Jude's letter here, God calls us to be holy. God calls us to be holy. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says, For God has not called us to be impure, but to live a holy life. 2 Timothy 1.8 says, God saved us and called us to a holy calling. God has called us to be holy. And now we, we can see, can't we, well, why Jude takes a minute at the beginning of this letter to remind his readers who they are. The false teachers were saying, listen, it doesn't matter how you live. Jude says, not true, actually. You've been called. Remember? Called by God, called to God, called to be holy, actually, for the glory of God. So Jude, right there in this, in this beginning of this letter, he's already confronting that, that false teaching. And I think this is, you know, very relevant for us 
every day of our lives, isn't it? Just, just to, to simply remember that, that, that God has, has not only called us, you know, to Himself through the gospel, He's also called us to be holy. Remember that. The next time you're, you're tempted to sin, say to your heart, no, no, Jesus calls me to be holy. Boys and girls, when you're, um, you know, tempted to get back at your brother or sister because they did something to you, say that to your heart. No, Jesus calls me to be holy. I think you'll be surprised what grace you find simply in reminding yourself of that truth. God has called us to be holy. Of course, when our holiness leaves a lot to be desired, which it will and it does, that's simply a reminder of how badly we need Jesus and of how thankful we should be that Jesus' perfect holiness and perfect righteousness is credited to our account by faith. But nevertheless, it doesn't change the fact that God has called us to be holy. The second descriptor Jude applies to the Christian is this, beloved, right? Beloved. Sorry, I feel like I got something like running down my face here. I'm creeped out that you guys are seeing something I'm not, but uh, <laughs> I don't know what it would be if I'm crying or something. Um, uh, beloved, right? That's the second descriptor here. Beloved. Jude says, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father. Now, there's some debate over how to translate the preposition here. Uh, the ESV, which is what we have read out of this morning, it's what's in the pews, it says that we are beloved in God the Father. Uh, the NIV, which is another translation most of us are probably familiar with, it says we're beloved by God the Father. Now, both ideas, I think, are true. Both ideas are affirmed in other places of Scripture. Uh, I think in is probably a better translation. I'll tell you why in a minute. I also don't think there's much of a difference, and it's not something we should get hung up on, uh, because uh, those who are beloved in God the Father are certainly also beloved by God the Father and vice versa. The main point here is this. God's people are a beloved people. God's people are a beloved people. And let's just think for a moment about this love that God has for us. God's love is, is the basis for our calling, isn't it? Jude has already said that we are a called people. But why has God called you to himself? Why has he called me to himself? Why has God called anyone to himself? Has he, has he, has he drawn our name out of a hat? Is there something about us that he finds attractive? Oh, I like him. I want him on my team. I like her. I want her on my team. The answer to both of those questions is no. <laughs> Emphatically, no. He calls us because, as Ephesians 1.4 says... In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. Do you get it? Scripture teaches that before the foundation of the world, in love, God chose or elected a people for salvation in Christ. And again, the basis for this choice, the basis for this election is God's sovereign gracious love. In love, He predestined us. In love, He chose a people to be His very own forever. And this love which God bestowed upon us before the foundation of the world, that is, that is the basis for our calling. God calls those whom He loves in Christ. He, he calls those who, who by grace He has placed His electing love upon and this love that God has for us, it's, it's, it's revealed at the cross. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How do you know God loves you? The answer is not, hear me clearly, we just talked about election, that gets all people all up in a bunch sometimes. The answer is not by pondering the deep mysteries of election. The answer is by looking to the cross and by beholding the man upon it with your sin upon his shoulders. That's how you know God loves you. 
His love is revealed at the cross. And God's love, right, which is the basis for our calling, God's love which is revealed at the cross, God's love, we might say, it's realized in conversion. When do we come to realize for ourselves that God loves us in Christ at conversion? Paul says this in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. God's love is realized in conversion. God's love is realized in that moment when we come to believe that truly Christ died for me and for my sins, and I trust Him and Him alone for salvation. And God's love, right? We're, we're the beloved people. God's love, it's, it's experienced daily in providence. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and who've been called according to His purpose. God's love is experienced daily in providence. The believer can rest assured that whatever comes her way, whether it's joy or sorrow, whether it's blessedness or adversity, it all comes from God's fatherly hand. It comes to her in love, the believer has that assurance. We sometimes struggle to believe that, but that's what Scripture teaches us, that all things come to us from God's fatherly, loving hand. God's love is experienced daily in providence. One more, and again, this is the one I think that is most relevant to Jude. This is the reason I think Jude brings it up here. God's love gives shape to our lives, or, or maybe... God's love is to be abided in. That would be more, I think, scriptural language. God's love is to be abided in. Look down if your Bibles are still open. Verse 21. If you look down in verse 21, what does Jude say? He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. So in verse 1, Jude tells believers that God loves them. And then in verse 21, Jude tells believers that they must keep themselves in the love of God. And this is why I think the best translation of verse 1 uh, is beloved in God the Father. Because later in this same letter, Jude speaks of God's love almost as if, as if it's its own sphere or, or domain that we must be sure to, to remain in. And we sort of see the same idea and language other places in Scripture. In John 15, Jesus says, abide in me. It's the same idea, right? Almost as if Jesus is his own sphere or domain, kind of, that we must remain in. In 1 John, we see some language that is very similar to this and I think very relevant to what Jude says in verse 21. But 1 John 2, 6 says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which Jesus walked. 1 John 3, 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. So John tells us, doesn't he, how we're to remain in the love of God. He tells us how we're to abide in Christ. It's by faith manifesting itself through obedience to God's word. Of course, all true faith is going to manifest itself that way, but it's by faith manifesting itself through obedience to God's word. That's how, we, that's how we abide in God. That's how we keep ourselves in the love of God. We don't earn God's love, okay? Let's get that clear. We do not earn God's love. God gives us his love freely and graciously in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're loved by God, okay? We don't earn God's love. And yet we must remain in that love by trusting and following Christ. Think of it this way. My wife pledged me her love on her wedding day, right? Maybe when she agreed to marry me, she did. I don't know. We don't have to get too technical. Anyways, as I honor my wife, as I serve my wife, as I love my wife, as I remain faithful to my wife, I do my part, don't I, to keep myself 
in that love. But if I, if, I, if I would be unfaithful to my wife, if I would treat my wife cruelly, if I would talk down about my wife, if I would chase after other women, I would not be doing my part to keep myself in that love, would I? And I would probably find out uh, right quickly that I am now outside of her love. There's a similar dynamic at play in our relationship with God. Those who are unfaithful to God, those who walk in pride and unrepentance, are walking outside the love of God in Christ and, and will find soon enough that they are outside the love of God in Christ. Certainly Jesus says something of this sort in Matthew 7 when he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And again, we can see now why Jude, at the beginning of this letter, takes a moment to remind us that we are God's beloved people. Because the love of God constrains us to live a certain way. And it's not to gratify the desires of the flesh. It's not to be immoral, as the false teachers were saying we can be because God is a forgiving God. No, it's to keep ourselves in the love of God. As we seek to live as God has called us to live by the power of His Holy Spirit within. So we're called, we're beloved. Next, Jude tells us we're kept. We're kept. Jude says, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Once again, there's a debate over which preposition ought to be used here. Uh, the ESV says we're kept for Jesus Christ, as if God is keeping us for the glory of Jesus Christ, and, and in order that he might present us to Jesus Christ on the last day. And, you know, that is certainly a biblical truth, and so it's a very possible translation the NIV says that we're kept by Jesus Christ. That would place the emphasis on Jesus being the one who keeps us from being lost, who protects us and preserves us and holds us fast till the end. That is also a biblical truth and a, and a possible translation. Uh, I'm kind of of the mind when you come uh, across these ambiguities in Scripture that I've oft, I think I've said this before, they're, they're inspired ambiguities uh, as if, you know, uh, God wants to encompass sort of all these truths at once. Uh, that's kind of how I think, and, and that probably would apply to the beloved preposition as well. Anyway, this much is sure, Christians are a kept people. We are kept by Jesus Christ, and we are kept for Jesus Christ. And that's good news, right? That even as we must keep ourselves in the love of God, we do it knowing that we are at the same time being kept by God. Let me ask, have you ever spent time pondering this truth that God protects and preserves and keeps his people? Have you, ever, have you ever taken time to consider that the only reason you remain faithful to Christ this day, assuming that you have, the only reason you haven't turned your back on the Lord Jesus Christ and chosen instead the way of the world is because God is keeping you? Have you ever, have you ever thought about that? To just, just think about uh, maybe where you'd be if God hadn't, hadn't put this person in your life who now holds you accountable spiritually. Think of where you'd be if God hadn't sent that person whom you thought was a jerk at the time to say that really hard thing to you that you needed to hear. Think of where you'd be if, if God hadn't um, turned your heart from desiring a particular sin but I think of that in my life sometimes. There's things I used to desire, sinful things, right? And they were, they were powerful temptations. And, and, and not only are they not so much a, a, a problem for me anymore, but my heart doesn't even, doesn't even desire these things. Like, I can't do that to myself. That is of the Lord. Right? Have you ever taken time to, to, to think about how God's keeping grace has been manifested in your life? It's something that we can just, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind, right? But, but, but God is a God who keeps his people. God is a God who holds us fast. And Jude is no doubt going to sound this note triumphantly at the end of the letter when he offers that great doxology, right? Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault or great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now 
and forevermore. Judah's going to end this letter just like beating that drum that God is a God who keeps his people. God is a God who holds his people fast. Yes, the false teachers seek to lead us astray, but God holds us fast. Jude says one more thing about believers in this letter opening, and it's that we are blessed. Now, Jude doesn't use that word. Instead, he just lists a few of the blessings that are ours in Christ. He says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. You know, I never was very good at math. My kids come home, and they've got some bad math papers, and I, I help them, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, you come by it relatively honestly. Um, I do know this, though. You can't multiply anything by zero, right? It doesn't matter if it's 10 million or 0.2. You multiply it by zero, it's always zero, so when Jude prays, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you, he's implying that to some degree we already have and know and experience these blessings. Now, Jude would have us know them and experience them to an even greater degree. He would have us know them and experience them uh, to an even fuller measure, and we should certainly desire that as well for ourselves. Uh, but at the same time, these are three blessings which we have, the believer has in Christ. Mercy. Mercy is, I think it might have become my like favorite word in all of the Bible. Mercy. Pastor Stephen has a daughter named Mercy Dawn. They named her after Lamentations 3.23. I think that is beautiful. Almost makes me want to have another kid. Not really. I, got, I have way too many kids. Um, but mercy is a, a great word. It's a precious word for sinners like us, isn't it? It's a word that denotes undeserved kindness and compassion. It's a word that speaks to God's not treating us as our sins deserve. And mercy is most certainly, most wondrously, most gloriously what God shows us in Christ. In Christ, God shows mercy. Not because He overlooks our sin, but because He's dealt with our sin on the cross through the precious blood of Jesus. Mercy. You need mercy today? Our world isn't too keen on mercy. I don't know if you've noticed this, but our world would much rather cancel those who offend rather than show mercy. It's an oppressive system. Get it right or you're out of here. That's how our world rolls. It's not the message of the gospel. In the gospel, God promises mercy to sinners through Jesus Christ. Whoever you are today, you're the mother who got angry uh, and harsh with her children this morning. You're the father and the husband who's put himself first. You're the 20-something who's been drunk since Friday night. You're the middle-aged man who looked at pornography. You're the lesbian. You're the gossip. Whoever you are in Christ, mercy. Mercy. And of course, we don't only need mercy from God, we need, we need mercy from others. Jude is going to make that clear in verse 22 when he says, be merciful to those who doubt. We need mercy for others. We need mercy for those who've been led astray by the false teachers. We must, we must bear patiently with them as we seek to snatch them from the fire and to restore them to fellowship with God and his people. But this mercy, too, it comes from God. Out of his mercy for us, we find the ability to show mercy to one another. Of course, mercy leads to peace. That's the second blessing we have in Christ. When God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, when he, when he forgives us on the basis of Christ's once and for all sacrifice on the cross, that leads to peace. Peace is a product of mercy. And peace also is a blessing afforded to the believer. And peace, too, is something we don't, we don't just need with God. We, we need it also with our fellow man. In verse 19, Jude tells us that these false teachers are, are creating divisions among God's people. And therefore, peace is a blessing needed amongst, within the church as well. God gives peace. He gives peace with himself through Christ. He gives us peace with others in Christ. 
Of course, and this is getting into more of what's to come, there's only peace with others in Christ. And that's why we must be so concerned to contend for the faith. Because outside of Christ, outside of the faith once handed down, there's no peace. The third blessing Jude mentions is love. Out of a peaceful relationship, love blossoms. Out of a peaceful relationship, love thrives. That's true in our relationship with God. As we receive mercy from Him and peace with Him, we respond with love for Him. Love which manifests, manifests itself in obedience, right? Yes, there's mercy for the sinner in Christ, but the sinner is so moved by that mercy and so filled with love for God that he or she can't continue in their sin. Right? Love results in mercy and peace. Love is, this is true also in our relationship with others. Because God gives us then the ability to love one another, doesn't He? As Christ has loved us. Mercy, peace, and love. These are wonderful blessings afforded to us in Christ. And don't be content with knowing these blessings in small measure. Don't be content with the crumbs of mercy, peace, and love. But like Jude, ask God. Make that your prayer this week. Ask God to multiply these blessings in your life, in the life of your children, in the life of your church family. These are wonderful blessings that God gives us in Christ. The other day I came across an article, and that article said 18 things you should tell yourself in the mirror every morning. Why I even clicked on it, I have no idea. Here are a couple of the things, you sh according to this article, you should tell yourself in the mirror every morning. Uh, today is a new day. I am the best version of me. False. Yesterday doesn't define me. We all have secrets. <laughs> I can achieve all my dreams. I deserve the best. You know, typical self-help gobbledygook garbage, right? Now, talking to yourself in the mirror really isn't my thing. But if you insist on it, might I suggest you follow Jude's lead? And say something like this, in Christ, I am called, beloved, kept, and blessed. If that doesn't motivate you, if that doesn't comfort you, if that doesn't fill your heart with gratitude to God, if that doesn't give you meaning and a purpose, I don't know what will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for who we are in Christ, a people called, beloved, kept, and blessed. Indeed, Lord, help us to know and understand each of these truths in greater measure, and may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to all of us. For Jesus' sake, amen. Listen to the inviting words of the Lord to his beloved children. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen also to the Apostle Paul. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Finally, hear the Apostle John. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, he is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. With these words, we invite you to the Lord's table, which he has set for all his children. So let us now reverently and joyfully take our places. Hear the words of institution. For I received from the Lord what I delivered unto you, that Christ Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he also took the cup. And in the presence of his disciples, he, he poured it out. And he said to them, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Merciful Lord, we do not presume to come to your table trusting in our own righteousness, but in your great many mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Amen. Dear congregation, knowing that we are all sinners saved by grace, we are all people in need of mercy, and that we regularly sin in thought, word, and deed, let us now confess our sins together. Heavenly Father, you have loved us with an everlasting love, but we have often gone our own way and rejected your will for our lives. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us, and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you in every way for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Friends, we confess our sins together this morning knowing that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a meal for believers Christians believe that Jesus truly lived, truly died, and truly rose from the dead. Christians also personally appropriate these historical realities. That is, we believe that Jesus died for our sins. We believe that Jesus was raised for our justification. We believe that he will return again in glory as Lord of lords and King of kings and take us to be with himself. If you do not yet believe this, we ask you to refrain until you can partake worthily and in full belief, because Scripture says that it is a dangerous thing to take communion, communion in an unworthy manner. We have generally asked that if you have not made profession of faith in a Bible-believing church, have not met with a pastor and elders uh, about your profession, that you abstain from taking, and we would ask that as well this morning. But no, I'm here and I'd love to chat after the service, most certainly. Let's pray together. Our dear Lord, the bread that we are about to partake is symbolic of the human body in which you dwelt incarnate among us, sinless, for 33 years. And when you were crucified, you bore our sins in your body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By your wounds we are healed. You took our place and paid a price that we could never pay. Seal this to our hearts as we eat the bread, pointing us to your body, broken for us. In your name we pray. Amen. I'll invite the elders forward for the distribution.
congregation, take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for you. And feed on him in your heart by faith with thanksgiving. Jesus, lover of our souls, in Gethsemane you looked into the cup that you would have to drink in order to redeem us from our sins. And it was so awful that you prayed, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then you did the hardest thing ever done in time and eternity. You shed your blood to secure our salvation so that we might sit here today at your table and partake of the cup in deep remembrance of what you did for us on the cross. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.
beloved in God the Father, people who are kept for Jesus Christ. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for you, and be thankful. Let's stand together and profess our faith corporately with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. Receive now this parting blessing, again from the end of Jude, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen.